an ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Tabitha Barber. You are going to love her. She is a functional gynecologist, and she shares her story about how she got pregnant in high school and later went on to become a doctor. Dr. Tabitha shares so much wisdom in this interview. I am so grateful that she took the time to tell us how she helps her clients get happier and healthier and have more energy and vitality. You can learn more about Dr. Tabitha at drtabitha.com. But for now, here is Dr. Tabitha. Let's get started. Welcome to the Affiliate Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this podcast, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll get to witness healings as well as hear from my mentors, teachers, and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for the last 14 years. My connection with energy is so strong and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. So today I have Dr. Tabitha with me and I invited her on because she has such an amazing story. I love when people experience something that they weren't necessarily anticipating and then they turn it into something amazing. And I can't wait to talk to you. I mean, you have such an incredible journey, both, I mean, she's a doctor, obviously I said Dr. Tabitha. (laughs) I also want to hear all about this energy healing, this other side of you that is also into the mind, body, spirit healing. I know that comes from being a functional gynecologist, but I want to hear about your journey. So please tell me. Yeah, I've had a long, crazy life. (laughs) I would say that... You know, I just had a lot of independence growing up. I did what I wanted. My parents were good people, but they were super busy trying to run their businesses and they had a lot of children. I come from a big Catholic family. And so I just had a lot of freedom to make bad choices and learn (laughs) through all of that. And going down that path, it led me to getting pregnant in 11th grade. And That was really a big shift for me. I mean, I was secretly happy because I loved my boyfriend at the time and I didn't really have anything else going for me. I didn't have any plans to go to college. I didn't care about school. Like I lived in detention growing up. I was just... (laughs) I was didn't like authority, like the poster child for anti-school. So, you know, I get I get pregnant and I had a lot of terrible experiences. I had to go on Medicaid because my parents didn't have insurance. They were self-employed. And so all of a sudden I was in the system. I'm a teenager on Medicaid getting food stamps and I got treated like shit. I will Mm. tell you that was really eye-opening. You know, I remember going to the grocery store one day and a girl that I had went to high school with was the cashier and I had to give my food stamps. And that was like one of the most painful experiences. And I remember her saying something like, wow, you're doing pretty awesome, aren't you? You know, I got my kid in tow and pain with my food stamps. And I was like, you know what? I am doing great, whatever. And I walked out of there thinking, okay, what am I doing? You know, what's going on? And it was really moments like those, they all accumulated and made me realize that I needed to 
do something bigger with my life for my daughter. And I realized that I didn't want to just be working at the gas station my whole life, a high school dropout, and not give her any different opportunities than I had. And so I, you know, went on this path and I figured out what I wanted to do. I got my shit together. I went back to school. I got my GED. And then when I thought, oh my gosh, now what am I going to go to school for? What am I going to do with my life? I started to think about my terrible pregnancy and delivery, how I was mistreated from the doctors and the nurses. I mean, I had so many rude things happen to me. I remember going to the doctor after I delivered and there was no discussion about birth control. Literally, they did an exam on me and they sent me home with this box and it had a diaphragm in it. Mind you, I'm 17 years old, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, what the heck? And they just told me, put this stuff on it, put it in, take it out a couple hours later and wash it. And I really don't know how I didn't get pregnant. That was a godsend because (laughs) I'm sure I wasn't doing it right. You know, there was no discussion about what would be the best option for me for birth control. This is just what I was given. I really didn't know what I was doing. So it was so many experiences like that. I'm like, I felt like I had no voice. I had no choice in what was happening to me or my body. I was just this ignorant girl that was in the system. And so what I came to realize was I wanted to help women or girls like me have a voice and a choice and have someone that actually stop to talk to them and say, what do you want? What do you need? What's going on in your life? You know, are you actually going to be able to use this diaphragm or is this just going to be a horrible mess? You know, (laughs) so that was my driver. And I realized, okay, I need to go to college. I need to figure this out. I need to take care of women and give them different options than I had. I kind of find my purpose out of all that pain. So I ended up writing my autobiography because I learned so many lessons from it. Mind you, I had to fictionalize it so I didn't get sued. I have just learned that adversity is what creates your character and what it's gives you your strength. And if you can just learn from the adversity, from all of those lessons, it's like the most beautiful, amazing thing. And I kind of feel like that's what life's about, right? You know, instead of bitching and complaining that this stuff happened to you, take a step back and say, why did this happen to me? Hmm. What is my pivot point? How am I going to react and create something good out of this? And your life can be amazing when you do that. So how did you get all the support to go back to school to become a doctor? I mean, I'm sure you had. It was hard. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my mother didn't graduate high school. So there had been no one in my extended family at that point who had gone to a four-year college. You know, a few of them had done like the community college, gotten associates and whatnot. But there was no real examples of four-year college, getting degrees, becoming professionals in that regard. So I just came from hardworking people with good ethics, and I used that. And at the time, I I married my high school sweetheart in 11th grade, so he fortunately was into college and he wanted to study English and become a professor. And so 
he was our, my major impetus and feeling safe to go to college. So we did it together. And unfortunately, we grew apart as people, but we both had this drive inside of us to be better and to get out of our small town and not let that small town define us. And so, you know, I had that support from him, but my family, they didn't understand, you know, when I would come home for Christmas or Thanksgiving, they wouldn't ask me about my classes or anything because they really couldn't relate. And I was okay with that. And I respected that. And I didn't feel like they weren't supporting me because I knew they were and they loved me. It's just that they really had no idea what I was doing. And so that was a big struggle. Yeah, sure. I can imagine. Yeah. Did a lot of people think that you were trying to be better than them? or When I would go back home to my small town over break and stuff, I would get so much grief, especially, you know, if I tried to go out or see anybody that I used to go to school with. I would get a lot of people saying things like, you're going to be so in debt. How can you even afford that? There's, you're going to, you know, have thousands of dollars in debt. Why would you do this? Why would you waste your time? It's going to take you too long. It's going to take you 15 years. And I just kept thinking in 15 years, I can be a doctor and able to make enough money to pay that back, (laughs) or I can still be working at the gas station. And I was like, ah, this is what I need to do. This is what I, you know, this is right for me. And I just had to kind of remove myself from all those naysayers and not let it bother me and get to me because I had to believe in myself. I was like the only one who was keeping me going at that point. Yeah. A lot of times when we're up leveling like that, we do have to kind of just cut out those people who are trying to pull us down because we haven't yet figured out the path. And we're, we're very much like, you know, wondering how am I going to do this? And, and then having them say like, well, so what's your plan? You're like, I don't know, but I'm just going one step at a time. <laughs> so good exactly. for you sticking with it. That's really tough when you don't have a lot of people that are supportive in the way that you'd really want mm-hmm. them to be, but at least they weren't, at least your family was there, you know, as much as they could be. So after you became a doctor, what happened? Like, so what kind of doctor, you became a kind of ecologist, right? I originally went to school for nursing, thinking that was my big way of helping women, you know, because that was my option at the time. And so I did the community college, I did the two years of pre-nursing, but I was like kicking ass in school for the first time because I actually paid attention. Now that I cared, I was like, wow, I'm really good at school. This isn't so hard. And I realized I loved science. Like I was a total nerd. I was geeking out on anatomy and physiology and microbiology and I couldn't get enough of it. I started working in a microbiology lab and growing out everything. It was so interesting to me. I was like, I don't want to just be a nurse and no disrespect at all the nurses. They're amazing. And I couldn't do my job without them. But I didn't like the idea of someone else forming the plan and coming up with how the patient should be cared for. And then me just following through with those orders. I wanted to be the one talking to the patient and coming up with the plan. And I had a really awesome professor who actually said to me, you can be a doctor, you know? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, if that's what you want to do, you don't have to be a nurse. You can actually go to medical school and be a doctor. And when he said that to me, that changed my whole life. And 
so I remember that when I talked to people, especially young, impressionable people, because that shifted my entire future. Him just saying that I was good enough and that it was a possibility was enough for me to get to work, you know? Right. No one had ever said that to me before. I never knew that I could be that good. And he saw that in me. And when he verbalized it, it literally changed my life. I was like, okay, told my husband, we need to go to a school that has a medical school. I'm going to be a doctor. And he was like, okay, let's do it. And I will tell you, ignorance is bliss. Like looking back, if I had any idea what I was signing up for, I wouldn't have done it. You know, it's that hard. But all I saw was like this ideal of what I was going to become and how I was going to help women. And that's all I kept thinking of through all the pain. And I kept thinking, oh, this is temporary. When this is done, it'll be great. When this is done, it'll be great. And it kept going on for like 15 years, but (laughs) it was great. It did pay off. But I'm kind of glad I didn't really know just how hard it was going to be. Right. I'm sure you missed out on a lot. I did. Oh, my gosh. I I slept through so many Christmases and just I would be so exhausted. I would literally fall asleep at the dinner table with family and stuff. I missed birthday parties. I missed big events, you know, and a lot of my family didn't understand that. And that is one thing. I don't regret it but I wish it could be different. And now I'm trying to make up for that for sure. It's so awful that, you know, in order to be a doctor, you got to make those kinds of sacrifices. It's just doesn't seem right or fair, you know? Yeah. Once you became a doctor, you're like, (laughs) ta-da, this is amazing. (laughs) Except that I was exhausted. I was sleep deprived, stressed out to the max, overweight, was not taking care of myself, especially a surgical residency like OBGYN, it's so physically and mentally exhausting. It did feel amazing to graduate, but I will tell you that it almost destroyed me. You know, mm. that is where I ended up finding functional medicine was trying to heal myself and becoming a doctor is like the most unhealthy thing that you could possibly do. It's like we're the biggest hypocrites out there. You talk to doctors they're not doing anything they recommend, you know, the majority of them, because we're overworked. We are just worked to death. We're all burnt out. It's ridiculous. And that's why I made a pivot 10 years out or eight years out. And I was like, there's got to be a different way. I'm not serving my patients. I'm not helping myself. Like, there's got to be something better out there. And there was, and I found functional medicine. So tell us what functional medicine is, if you know, for the listener. So it's like the root cause of why you're having your issues. So if you have heartburn and you go to the doctor, we're going to give you medicine to get rid of that symptom. Mm. And that medication is going to go on to cause new problems. Acid blockers are known to prevent you from absorbing your vitamins and your fats and it causes disruption in your microbiome and it shifts everything. In functional medicine, we're going to say, okay, that heartburn is a symptom of something. What is going on? Where's the imbalance? Why are you feeling that symptom? And listening to it like a cry for help from your body, like, oh, we need to figure you out and get you back into balance so you don't have that symptom instead of just covering it up. That taught me that my sleep deprivation, my job, 
was affecting my hormones. It was messing with my cortisol, you know, being awake at 2 a.m. and hoping that babies don't die in my care, you know, that was stressful. And all of that created major imbalance. And because I wasn't managing any of it appropriately, I was living on pretzels and wine and cheese and coffee, probably not exercising (laughs) coffee. Like everything was bad. Donuts. (laughs) I was depleting, depleting, depleting and never renourishing or recuperating. And so when I realized that the majority of what I was struggling with was self-induced and I could make different choices, my whole life turned around. You know, and I think a lot of people go through this thing where they first find functional medicine, like, oh, shit, it's my fault. I, <laughs> I did all of this. And then you feel depressed, right? Mm-hmm. And then you start to research and learn more. And you're like, oh, well, well, I can start doing this and this. And you get motivated and you start making changes. But it is a long process of a roller coaster until you get to acceptance, like, okay, this is my new way of life and I have to let go of old habits, old ways of eating, maybe bad relationships, Hmm. you know, so it's not a quick fix, but it's the actual fix. So now you're a functional gynecologist and you help women all over the world, I think. First of all, who is your ideal client? You know, are they in their 40s, 50s, you know, or are they younger? I run the gamut. You know, everybody comes to me. I would say most women are struggling in their mid 40s. And the typical patient I see is a woman who wants it all, who has it all, you know, she's got it all. She wants to do it all and be it all. She's got her family. She's a professional. She's trying to look good and stay in shape and do all of the things, have drinks with her friends, have a relationship with her husband but there's not enough time in the day to take care of herself. And so it kind of comes crashing to a halt and they come into me and they say, what I'm doing isn't working anymore. I used to be able to, you know, run extra couple times a week and lose this weight. Now I can't get rid of this belly fat or I'm exhausted and I don't want to go to work anymore, you know, or I have no interest in my husband. It's like, Everything they did doesn't work anymore. And they've just depleted themselves so much that there's nothing left to give. And we get in this cycle where we start blaming and shaming our body and like our body is its fault. It's the problem. It's ugly. It's not strong. It's too weak, you know, and you start saying all these negative things in your head and then you get into this vicious cycle where you're not loving on yourself. You're not caring for yourself. You're treating yourself in a way that you would never talk to your children or your husband or your patients like, right? Mm -hmm. So you're just set up for continued dysfunction and worsening of how you're feeling. And so we have to break that pattern. I tell women, you cannot heal a body that you hate. It just won't heal. You need to nourish it and love it and give it time and everything that it needs. And you can't give anybody else what they need if you're completely depleted. I mean, we we all know that. You can't pour from an empty cup, right? Right, right, totally. So that's what I see a lot of my patients for, and that's what we work on all the time. (laughs) 
Yeah. So how do you do that? Like, what do you suggest, you know, to that woman who is so depleted, you know, wants everything, has really been working hard to manage everything? So here's the hardest part. I tell them they need to make themselves the priority. Mm -hmm. And for some women, they've never done that. You know, they've never taken the time to go get a massage or to have 10 minutes of alone time to process their thoughts. Some women have, and they're going about it the wrong way. But I would say the majority of us are not putting ourselves first. We're putting our children first, our husbands, our jobs usually. And so if you make that shift and you take care of yourself first, the other stuff will fall into alignment because you'll start to feel good again. You'll have energy again. You'll have focus and be able to complete your tasks at work and everything else. But getting women to understand that is super difficult because we're raised to think that that's a selfish thing to do and that's we're supposed to take care of everybody else and we're supposed to sacrifice and not take care of ourselves. And it's just not true. That's not how it should be. We should be taking care of ourselves first. It's like the old airplane analogy. You have to put on your oxygen mask before you put on your children's oxygen mask, you know? Right. And as hard as that sounds, it's true. I look at all part of their matrix, we call it, all of their lifestyle, what they're eating, how they're moving their body, how they're managing their stress, how they're relating to people during the day. And we literally address all of those. I say diet is always the first. That will give you the biggest win if you just get rid of the Diet Coke cut down on the drinking. I don't know about you, but COVID, everybody's drinking, right? Like right. three or four glasses of wine a night. And yeah, that's going too to much. set you up for sugar imbalances, prediabetes. It's going to mess with your sleep and your cortisol production. And so just getting purposeful and mindful about the decisions and what you're doing and your priorities. Like, do you want to sleep better? Then make sleep a priority. Let's cut down on the alcohol in the evening. Let's quit eating dinner after six o'clock. Let's eat more vegetables. And it all sounds really simple, but the follow through is where it gets difficult. Yeah. I always say that changing the diet is pretty much the easiest thing you can do to help yourself, you know, because it's something you're doing all the time and it's very noticeable, you know, if you swap things out, you know, like the Diet Coke Mm -hmm. for water or a Pellegrino or something like that, you know, sometimes it is just like the bubbles that you really want, you know? I mean, I, I had that path where I just was like eating so much sugar and crap and everything like that back in 2006. I wound up making better choices just naturally because the the higher you raise your vibration, the more that you start choosing good things, you start making better choices just because of that because you feel better. So I bet you get a lot of pushback from women, right? Like (laughs) (laughs) they're like, what do you mean? I got to give up, you know, the Diet Coke or the wine at night, you know, every night or something, you know, what do you say to them? Oh, so I often prescribe the elimination diet out of the gate. And I do, I get a lot of pushback, but it's because women are coming to me with all of these food sensitivity issues. They're having eczema, rashes, or acne, or headaches, things that are most likely gut-related. So Mm. you have leaky gut from your stressful, bad diet. You're creating these food sensitivities. And the way to reset your system the quickest is doing an elimination diet. So I have them do that with the nutritionist 
And, you know, it's a lot to ask. It's four weeks of removing things like gluten, dairy, soy, sugar, that kind of stuff. And I will tell you, I get a lot of pushback at the idea. But when they come back four weeks later, they're like, oh my God, I wish I would have done this 10 years ago. This is amazing. I have so much energy. I have no acne. I haven't had a headache in two weeks. Like, this is magical. And it's amazing what happens when you clean up your system and get rid of those impedances, how clean and clear your body can function. And Mm. then the reintroduction. So after you eliminate it for four weeks, you know, you you add a gluten back in for a couple days and see how you feel. It is so much more obvious how shitty you feel once your body has been cleaned up and that they all say that to me. Oh my gosh. I'm like, that's how bad you felt. You didn't even know when you felt worse because you yeah. were already in the dumps. Right. So when you are feeling good, it's so much clearer. And I think that's really empowering. You know, you were able to remove that stuff for four weeks and then you are able to hear what your body's telling you again and reclaim that intuition that you're supposed to have, but it was all mucked up from the crap we were putting in our bodies. So it's such an awesome thing to do. I love it. Right. And then it's not like you can never have it again. You obviously then wait longer and you see if your body can heal from it and then maybe introduce it two months, three months from then, right? Is it you should wait like some time? At first, you're trying to see how your body reacts to it. So as you reintroduce each food, you might realize there's only a couple things that are bothering me. And yeah, if you remove them for four to six months and really calm that immune system down and heal your gut lining, oftentimes your immune system will quit reacting to that food. I like to think of food sensitivities as innocent bystanders. So, you know, we have this leaky gut created from stress and antibiotics and hormone shifts and birth control pills and all these things. Stuff is getting into our bloodstream that shouldn't be there. Our immune system's reacting in an appropriate way to protect us. But the foods that we're eating, even the healthy stuff, is innocently getting attacked as well during this process. So Mm -hmm. you can create sensitivities to almonds and broccoli and all these good healthy foods because they were in the line of fire during that attack. And so Mm -hmm. every time you eat them, your immune system gets pissed off and reacts and causes this inflammation in your body. So if you calm that down for a good four to six months and really heal your gut lining so things are not getting to your bloodstream and immune system the way they were before, you can almost always reintroduce those foods and not have those symptoms again. So I will tell you, like, the majority of our issues come from our gut. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I remember when I took gluten out and then I had it again and I was like, wait a second. I think I've been depressed for the last three days. Like I think I've been unmotivated and somewhat depressed. Like I don't get really that depressed, but it was definitely noticeable for me. And I was like, wow, I don't like that. So that's why I stay away from gluten. I get to- Oh my gosh, Amy, I do too. Like I'll sit on the couch for three days, like so depressed. I don't want to do anything. Yeah. It's very interesting, right? How it makes you feel unmotivated. And Mm. then I see the darker side of life, you know, whereas normally I'm like, no, we can make, you know, lemons into lemonade, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So for me, I just kind of stay away from it just because it can be so inflammatory. 
I'm sure once they realize like I can, I can put this back in my diet at some point and, you know, I'm feeling better now that it's out. Like, what do you do next? You, you work on their relationships, you know, you check in with their, their purpose and their job and things like that and how they're feeling about that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, a lot of times I'm trying to get their hormones balanced or get their cortisol back into a good normal pattern so they can handle their stressors during the day and sleep at night. We're kind of all doing this concurrently. But I will tell you, oftentimes sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, they will balance out if you fix the upstream issues like cortisol, thyroid, and sugar. So if you get your diet cleaned up, which decreases your inflammation and get that excess processed food, excess sugar out of your diet, that will often go on to correct your everything else downstream. And so I very infrequently need to give estrogen or progesterone or actual hormones. They get balanced by doing the other stuff upstream. So, you know, I check on their fasting insulin and their average blood sugar, their A1C. I check their thyroid in detail. I often see women whose thyroid is being attacked and they didn't know it. They're told, oh, you have a sluggish thyroid or you've been on levothyroxine for 10 years and you know nobody ever told you why your thyroid doesn't work. And I check antibody levels to the thyroid and your own immune system is attacking it. You have autoimmune thyroiditis and things like that are going to prevent you from being balanced. And so if you figure out the root cause of these issues and really focus and work on those with diet and lifestyle changes, you're going to go back into balance. So yeah, I'm helping them get their sleep. I'm helping them manage their stressors. We're all going to have stress, right? And here's the thing, like just because we're all stressed out or you're stressed out and you've been stressed out for 10 years doesn't mean it's beneficial to you. It doesn't mean it's healthy for you just because it's normal for you. Just because you see it every day doesn't mean that's what your body wants. So I think women need to accept the fact that we can have it all and do it all and be it all, maybe just not all at once, right? Right. (laughs) Something's got to give. You're more apt to be able to handle it if you put yourself first and really focus on you. That's all great advice. <laughs> you know, once you, you do fix the other upstream things, the, you know, the hormones will balance out and everything like that because I know women really struggle with their hormones. So where does the energy healing and the mindfulness and, and things like that come into play for you as a doctor telling other people? I mean, what are you even allowed to say? <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you that most of my patients cry the first session with me. And at first felt really bad about it. And I thought, why is everyone crying? But what I realized was they just want somebody to listen. They just want to be heard and not be poo-pooed as you're crazy or, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Why can't you handle it? Here's an antidepressant. Once women start feeling heard, then they can find the strength to go and change some things. So I love to just support them in whatever they feel like they need to do. I have women who leave their jobs. They realize like that job is absolutely toxic to me. It's destroying me as a person. It's ruining the relationship with my husband and they leave their jobs. 
or people who haven't been able to get off the couch. We have to figure out why aren't you moving your body? Are you in physical pain? Is it a mental block? Do you not want to lose weight because you were sexually abused and that's like your blanket, your cover to protect you? I mean, we have to work on these deeper issues. And sometimes it's going to other counseling or therapists. Sometimes it's meditating. But a lot of times it's just talking in my office. I mean, I joke that I'm a vagiatrist because they come <laughs> in for vaginal health and it ends up being a psychiatry session. So oh, that's funny. But that's what women need. Yeah. They just need to take time to process and figure out why am I doing the things I'm doing? Why do I keep sticking with this bad habit? Where is my blockage? And so often, like I had one woman... She was in the most miserable marriage. They slept in separate bedrooms. She was scared of him. He hit her. Her children were now old enough to, to realize that this was going on and it was eating away at her. That was her problem. That's why she couldn't get healthy. But no doctor was going to find that out in a 15-minute appointment when right. they're focused on the depressive type symptoms. We need to look deeper. We need to go, why? Yeah, I think people just really underestimate how much their fight or flight gets put on when they're in these terrible relationships and, you know, working at a job that they don't love or putting themselves last, you know. And and obviously food is one of those things that are constantly putting on our fight or flight. Calming that reaction is going to help the body to rest and digest and heal. And I like to think of food as what we think of our body. You know, when I was living on donuts, pop and caffeine and alcohol and just garbage, like literally garbage. I, you know, I worked in a, a woman's office. It was all women. The break room was full of crap all the time. We were always celebrating cakes, cookies, donuts, this holiday, that potluck just eating crap all the time. I wasn't respecting my body. I was treating it like a garbage can. And so when you start <laughs> respecting your body, you're not going to put garbage into it. You're only going to put in stuff that's actually nourishing it and helping it to be balanced and heal, right? So right. I think if you start thinking about treating your body like the amazing vessel that it is and you have to treat it well, that says a lot about what you think about yourself. And mm -hmm. so when I look at people's diets, I think, okay, they're either completely mindless about what's happening and just not thinking about what they're putting in their body, or they don't like their body and they're punishing it, you know, or they don't like how they're feeling and they're trying to mask it and right. get rid of those feelings. We eat our feelings all the time. Mm. I know. I've done fasts where I'm like, oh, so... That's how I use food. You know, you're just like having an emotion and you're like, I just want to eat something. And you're like, I'm not even hungry. I, you know, mm. even if you're fasting or if you're doing a juice cleanse, you know, I won't be actually hungry, but I'll be like, oh, well, that feels like I need to have food. I'm not sure why. What emotion am I having? It's very easy to, to detect that kind of thing. I'm sure that women just like absolutely love you when they work with you. They're probably like, oh, thank God for giving me back me, you know, right? Yeah, exactly. It's such rewarding work. I just can't even tell you. And I bet the husbands are probably like, the first few weeks I wanted to kill you, but thanks for giving me back my wife or, you know, my partner or whoever. Yes. I've had cards from husbands. I've, I had one guy drop off a gift. I was Aww. like, this is hilarious. But 
they see the difference. They get their wives back. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this wisdom. This was amazing. Is there anything else you want to share with everybody about how they can help themselves, you know, to have better health? Yeah, I would say definitely download my free ebook. It's really short, but it's the Functional Gynecologist's Guide to Balancing Your Hormones. And it really does start in the gut. And there's just a few easy little hacks that you can do. So download that and check it out because you don't necessarily, if you're not that far gone, you don't have to come see me, right? There's things that you can tweak and just make little switch outs, like you said, like maybe change the pop for water or whatever, get your bowels moving every day, little tweaks like that, that you can get yourself back to where you want to be and be the woman of your dreams. So... Right. You poop out your estrogen, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Women have no idea how estrogen's metabolized and gets recirculated if you're constipated or if you have the wrong bacteria in your gut. Like so, so important. So check that out. And then you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook at Dr. Tabitha. It's three A's, no I's. And I have a (laughs) podcast, The Functional Gynecologist. Yeah. Come on. So yes, I'm excited. Thank you so much. And your book is called From White Trash to White Coat, but it's not your autobiography, right? It's just a story that you told that's very similar. My my fictionalized autobiography. Yeah, Yeah, right. Cool. Thank you so much for being on the show. You are a wealth of knowledge and I'm sure that there was lots of great information in here for people. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I hope you have a wonderful day. Awesome. Thank you, Amy. All content provided by Amy Stark and her guests on the Ophelia Podcast website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, were created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist. 